welcome to Second Look. I'm Benjamin Green, and I'm your host on the Outset Podcast Network. Second Look is the show where we pause and re-examine politics and culture. Uh, today, the show's a little bit different. Last week, I did a, a very off-the-cuff, unedited sort of show. This week, I decided to try something a little bit different. And um, we're we're doing a verbal essay. <laughs> so I, I wrote out just basically a really long blog post, and I'm going to try and read it with feeling. And we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We are brought to you by Octopod and their awesome little battery backups for your phone and tablet. Head over to octo-pod.com slash outset to find out more information on how an Octopod can help you and use the coupon code OUTSET at checkout to get 50% off. Thursday morning, I was a bright light of optimism for the future. By Saturday evening, I was flopped on my living room floor in a pile of despair. Okay, that's a little more dramatic than it actually was, but it was pretty close. What was it that had me so optimistic? The debate. What was it that had me so depressed? Also, the debate. I believe that this is a first-class example of having hopes so high, the only place they can go is down, and down they did come. Drastically, explosively, and decisively. I awoke Thursday morning intent upon watching both the debates that day. I was excited, tweeting and snapchatting away about how great the debate was going to be. I was especially eager to see how Rand Paul would do, since, as you know, I'm a huge fan, and he had a lot to lose in this debate performance. All day, I could barely keep my mind on anything else. It seriously got to the point where it was pretty ridiculous. Buzzing around like a child on Christmas Eve, I went to work, raced home, and upon arriving home, discovered that there was no free live stream. I was frustrated, but little did I know that was just the beginning. I had to talk my wife into watching the debate with me. She's passionate about politics, but she doesn't have much interest in getting involved in the fray this early. But she's a good sport and said she would watch one of the debates with me. So we settled in and watched as much of the so-called happy hour debate as we could from Fox News' YouTube channel. We would pause and discuss things with each other that the candidates had said, and the tough questions from the moderators resulted in good answers and good discussion in the Green household. After the debate, which really was more of a forum, I was impressed and still optimistic. I had a great time. I liked what I heard from Carly Fiorina, Bobby Jindal, Rick Perry, and even George Pataki, someone whom I have, on multiple occasions, really questioned why he entered the race. I'm no fan of hawkish foreign policy, and I know none of those candidates are particularly dovish, but I appreciated the thoughtfulness and details that the aforementioned candidates, Jindal especially, put into their answers. Most of all, I liked that each of the candidates took what they were doing seriously. 
they weren't content to be relegated to a JV League debate. Each candidate came off as having prepared well, and it was refreshing to see seven people on a stage discussing their vision for the future of America. On a side note, I was somewhat impressed with Lindsey Graham's ability to take any question he was asked and use his answer to argue that we need to invade Iraq and Syria. Needless to say, he won't be getting my vote. But at the end of the early debate, my positivity felt well-founded. I was literally bouncing. I had so much energy and enthusiasm. It was fun, it was interesting, and I was happy with the state of the GOP bench. Despite all this cheerfulness, we decided to postpone the real, quote, unquote, debate to Saturday. Saturday evening is when the hope-crushing nightmare known as the first primary debate landed for me. I heard some people say that it was a good debate, even some really good friends and family members, but sadly, I could not disagree more. I don't often refer to things as hope-crushing. After the debate was over, I was just kind of mindlessly staring at the floor. I decided to sign out of Twitter for a while just to clear my head and focus and try to narrow down exactly what was so frustrating about the debate. A few days later, I think I figured out the three main problems. Number one, the candidates didn't actually get to debate. Debate is defined by Merriam-Webster as a contention of words or arguments as a the formal discussion of a motion before a deliberative body according to the rules of parliamentary procedure, or b. a regulated discussion of a proposition between two matched sides. I would say there was only one period in this debate where this was an actual debate, from what I saw, and that was during the surveillance fight between Chris Christie and Rand Paul. They were opposed to each other, making points against each other, and sharing different visions on a specific policy. Most of the questions were tough, but they largely allowed the candidates to answer the moderators directly without going in-depth and without being challenged by their peers. This goes against the very nature of what a debate is supposed to be. If the candidates aren't allotted time to directly address each other, it shouldn't be called a debate. If you watched the debate, you saw how that moment between Chris Christie and Rand Paul really left no questions unanswered about where either one of them stood. Not only that, but they were forced to justify their respective stances, whereas when the moderators simply asked candidates questions, the candidates often danced around the question and never even answered it. What Fox News should have done is after every question, built in time for other candidates to challenge the answers given. All throughout both debates, it seemed like more of an interview. Moderator would ask a question, candidate would answer. In the second debate, there were some times when the moderator would ask, the candidate would answer, and then another candidate would respond for 30 seconds or so, but for the most part, no actual debating happened. 
The second problem that I think I've identified is that the candidates just wouldn't answer the questions. Watching this debate, my mind often went back to the episode of Psych, where Sean Spencer decides to run for mayor. Answer the question you wish they asked, not the question they actually asked, went the political advice. So when asked questions about policy, he answered about candy. While there was no such egregious example from Thursday's debate, I was perpetually frustrated to see candidates not directly answer the question, in in both debates, really. I understand that in politics you need to have the ability to frame your answers in a way that looks good upon yourself, but I don't think that's any excuse for not answering questions. It's this exact kind of political doublespeak that frustrates everyday Americans and makes them feel detached from the political process. There's also an element of leadership and responsibility involved. Are you so afraid of your stances that you're unwilling to defend them? So you instead have to dance around and answer the question you wish they had asked? I was particularly pleased with George Pataki, who is pro-choice when it comes to abortion, and was asked specifically about this. He answered by saying that though he is pro-choice, he's always hated abortion, and he supports defunding Planned Parenthood, outlawing the use of federal tax dollars toward abortion, and banning abortion after 20 weeks. Being pro-choice is a toxic stance in the GOP. There's maybe no stance more dangerous with a large portion of the electorate being single-issue voters on this issue. I have no plans to support Governor Pataki, but I did appreciate his willingness to simply state exactly where he is on the issue of abortion without running away from the question. He took responsibility for his stance, instead of trying to sneak it through unnoticed. The third problem was that the discussion was largely about people, not about ideas. If a debate does not debate ideas, what does it do? While I did think that most of the questions the moderators asked were questions that needed to be asked of the candidates, I didn't feel that they were at the right venue. Ideas were not often contrasted. I know that it is a field of Republicans, so there isn't going to be as much contrast as in a general election debate, but there are still plenty of issues where the candidates disagree. For instance, Jeb Bush was asked a question on Common Core that was basically along the lines of, Governor Bush, you've supported Common Core. Is opposition to Common Core stemming mostly from a fringe group? To which... Jeb talked about vouchers and standards and other typical education talking points. Then Marco Rubio was asked to respond, and he agreed that the U.S. needs curriculum reform. What did this accomplish? Again, this set of questions and answers made the whole thing feel like more of an interview. The question should have been, Governor Bush... You've supported the Common Core standards in the past. Do you still support them? If so, why? If not, what specific policies would you seek to enact at the federal level to improve education in the states? And if Jeb Bush failed to answer the question directly, the moderator should have pressed him on it. 
Then, Marco Rubio should have been asked if he agreed with Bush's answer, and why or why not. And again, if he got off point, the moderator should have pressed him to answer the question. This debate could have and should have been about ideas, but ideas were rarely even mentioned. So you may be wondering why, with the debate, these problems were so overwhelming to me. I really was filled with a sense of despair upon finishing the second debate. My wife and I were relieved that it was finally over and that we could move on, but I, I couldn't move on. I was just so frustrated by the whole thing. However, I know that empty frustration is useless. So I've spent the last few days mulling over what could be done to fix problems in the current political climate. I'll have more of this topic on Second Look in the coming weeks because, frankly, my plans for exciting debate coverage are on hold until I have a debate that I actually want to cover. Just from Saturday until now, I've been able to identify what I see as the biggest problems with the GOP and conservatism as it stands right now. Number one, Trump. Yeah, I'll just throw this right out there. Donald Trump is the biggest problem that the GOP is facing today. He's destroying the party image, he's saying offensive things, he's a fake conservative, and he's an unabashed crony capitalist. And that last one isn't even an accusation. He flat out admitted it during the debate. When asked why he donated to Hillary Clinton and Chuck Schumer, he said that he donated to them because when he needed something done, he'd call them and they would get it done for him. This is exactly what crony capitalism is. And it's a scourge to our economy and a black mark on the respectability of anyone who engages in it. But anyway, Trump is a problem. I'm of the opinion that he'll die out eventually, much in the way that bombastic candidates of yore always have. However, Trump is siphoning support from other candidates who actually have good ideas, or at the very least, consistent ideas. Ted Cruz, Tea Party favorite, is seeing many of his supporters defect and go over to Trump. The GOP can afford to dump Trump. We have a bunch of insanely qualified candidates who can take his place. We have four current and five former governors, four current and one former senator, one former CEO, and one former neurosurgeon running for the Republican nomination. And yet, we're stuck on the guy with the funny hair? Any candidate who calls his opponent stupid is not a serious candidate and the GOP should figure out the best way to get rid of Trump and make it happen. You might remember that I once said on Second Look that Trump had every right to be up there on that stage, and he does. But I also think that his time on the stage needs to be minimized. Problem number two is that on the right, we value headlines over thoughts. We have this problem on the right of being anti-intellectual. The left often comes off as being elitist, as though those in government and academia know what's best for your life. And conservatives are right 
to reject progressive elitism wherever it shows its face. However, rejecting elitism is often taken one step too far, and we see the right vapidly decrying intellectualism. This is, quite frankly, stupid, and results in the right not being taken seriously, and also in the continuing deterioration of the Republican Party. Consider for a moment the insane level of support that a man whose record is not consistently conservative, whose business practices have been heartless and unethical, and whose campaign announcement speech included a section where he insinuated that most of the people from Mexico are criminals. This man is on the top of the polls everywhere. He's anti-intellectual in every sense of the word, being best known for uttering the words, You're fired! and being very rich. And yet vast swaths of the political right are willing to herald this man as their hero, their savior from the dastardly deeds of Barack Obama. This is ludicrous, and it's exactly the type of thinking that gets the right in trouble. There is nothing wrong with being thoughtful and having academic, rational discussion of issues. There is nothing wrong with supporting someone like Bobby Jindal, who's a quieter man, who might not get headlines, but has some interesting ideas. In seeking to reject elitism, the right has become preoccupied, searching for celebrities to fill some void. However, I would argue that if we continue to seek this as our end goal, it will result in our destruction. Consider that the man whom many consider to be the last great conservative president, Ronald Reagan, was a celebrity. We often apply the mantle of Reagan to figures who come in and make big speeches, trying to get attention for themselves. However, Reagan was, in many ways, a philosophical candidate. Though he was at one point an actor, he was never against having a logical discussion of the ideas he stood for. Reagan was immensely popular, and conservatives have longed for a new Ronald Reagan ever since. But in looking to fill this void with celebrities, we end up selling out people who actually have potential solutions to the problem we face, and who, if given the right amount of time, might be able to fill that void that's been missing on the right since 1988. But if we look at recent years, what have our celebrity personas accomplished? They seem to be quite adept at coming on the scene, shaking things up, and then refusing to leave, settling into cushy cable news spots and radio shows and book sales. What has this benefited us as a movement? Nothing. We have everything to gain and nothing to lose by turning to candidates and influencers who think instead of those who yell. Problem number three that I've identified is the big tent. Wait, what? If you know me, I'm always talking about how the big tent is a great thing. Well, this presidential campaign season has me questioning that stance. I haven't changed to officially oppose the Big Tent mindset, but I do think that the Big Tent 
as it currently stands, is more of a circus than a shelter. What do I mean by that? Well, rather than using our diversity of opinion on the right to showcase how powerful the message of conservatism is, we use it to yell at each other. It's hard to hear the diversity over the noise. Do you know what I mean? By letting in such diverse viewpoints, we open ourselves up to perpetual civil warring. This is particularly apparent in my home state of Arizona, where in 2016 we're going to have a Senate race between John McCain and a more conservative challenger, Kelly Ward. Meanwhile, progressives are telling uninformed voters that those loons on the right are a bunch of science deniers who want to ban birth control and roll back the civil rights movement. Who are people going to listen to? The ones yelling at each other? Or the ones condemning those yelling at each other? Recently, I've begun to wonder whether the Big Ten isn't more of a problem than it is a benefit. What do we gain from broadcasting our arguments on the national stage? Chris Christie and Rand Paul may personally reap the benefits, but to the people of America, they both look ridiculous and reflect poorly on the Republican Party and also on those conservatives outside the GOP. I'm sorry this hasn't been more encouraging, but I did say that I was feeling some despair after the debate. I've worked hard to collect my thoughts and leave them here, and I hope I was able to get you to think about some potential problems with the GOP. We can't solve problems until we know what they are. So I always think of identifying problems as a good, positive thing. I'm so happy to be a part of Outset, a place dedicated to individual liberty, personal responsibility, and free markets. Here at Outset, we love to talk about politics and culture in a different way. And with the team that Stephen Perkins is assembling, I remain optimistic for the future of the conservative movement. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of Second Look. Let me know what you thought about this format of a very scripted episode and whether or not you liked it uh, more or less than last week. You can find me on Twitter at BGreenAZ, Stephen Perkins, editor of Outset Magazine, at Stephen with a PH underscore Perkins. Also check out his podcast, The Stephen Perkins Program, and The Matt Dallas Show, all available from Outset Magazine. Follow Outset on Twitter at Outset Magazine. You can find all of the shows in iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a five-star rating if you thought this was a good episode. As always, check out OutsetMagazine.com, your source for awesome content from young conservatives. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and I hope you have a wonderful week.